I feel I felt like I felt like because it's Wimbledon, I wanted to make I wanted to sort of like do a bit of a, a tennis talk, sort of use metaphors from tennis in my in my talk, and it's either going to be really cheesy or it's going to be brilliant. So would you turn with me to 1 John 4, uh, verse um, 7 to 19. Don't panic, Mike. I, I decided last minute I'm going to read from 7, and you join in from 13. Um, but this, uh, it's sort of given a little uh, heading of God's love and ours. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God and God lives in them and they in God, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, sorry, we didn't have a slide for you there. Um, Full confession, I don't actually like tennis. I, I, but I just, I, I just, I know that a lot of people do like tennis, and it's a big moment in our in our British culture. So I'm like, let's have Wimbledon Sunday. But I mean, I say I don't like tennis. I, I'm nonplussed. Uh, I, I just sort of like the way I feel about cricket as well. I, I've I've tried a few times to play tennis. I'm sorry to alienate myself from a bunch of people in the room straight off the bat. I've tried to play tennis um, quite a bit, and I, and I just I don't get on with it, May, but mainly because I've spent a lot of time, and I've had a lot of coaching, and I've spent a lot of money on, on my squash game, which is, I know it's a racket sport, but it's a totally different game. So squash is my, is my love. And I'm quite good at squash. I'm not very good at tennis at all, which is why I'm the umpire today. I'm quite good at squash, uh, but I'm a very average player, meaning that there are a lot of people who aren't as good as me but there are even more people who are way better than me. And I remember joining a squash club about six years ago, and I was playing in sort of like the, the leagues in, in this club. And I remember coming to play one of my matches, and I, I, my opponent, I met my opponent, and I, I don't want to make myself look bad, but he looked like an easy game, right? He didn't look that fit. He was a lot older than me, and I felt confident, to say the least. But anyway, we're on the court and it's his serve and he hits his first serve and it's this looping shot that hits the back of the wall, loops over my head and then just dies in the corner. One love. And then he goes to the next serve again and he does it again, looping shot into the corner, two love. 
That first game, nine love. The second game, nine love. And I, I'm, I'm not sure. I think I did manage to score at least one point. But any, if I got a return back on him, again, another looping shot into the corner, dead. He was well-practiced at his looping, slow-paced game. And despite the scoreline of nine love, I wasn't loving it. <laughs> because in squash and in tennis, love means nothing. Love means nothing. But... And here's my either brilliant or very cheesy link. God's love is everything. With God, love wins. The love of God wins. And I wonder if, if I said the phrase to you, God loves you. And it's a phrase I would always want to say to you. I wonder what that, what that sort of conjures up in you. I wonder, I wonder what it means to you. It might mean nothing to you. It might mean nothing. It has zero meaning to you. Perhaps God is no more real to you than like spoiler, um, Easter Bunny or Santa. You know, or, your, or your, perhaps your view of God doesn't match the definition of love. Maybe your view of God is someone who's angry, disappointed, vengeful, sort of uh, off in a distance, not really caring about us, uh, separated. I, I don't know. Or maybe you're, you're, it doesn't have much meaning for you because you just wouldn't ever believe that it would be true. Why would God love me? Why would God love you? You might think, well, my, my family love me, but I guess they sort of have to. But God doesn't have to. So why would God love me? It might mean nothing to you. But it might mean everything to you. And I, I, would, I hope it would. And I think it should. Because God's love is the only thing in life that will ever truly save you, ever truly satisfy you, and ever truly and totally restore you. Because with God, love wins. God's love wins. And so I just want to unpack just really three really simple thoughts this morning about God's love. And first is that God's love truly saves. God's love truly saves. Thankfully, I've never been in any sort of like drastic moments where I've, I've needed saving. But I do remember one particularly embarrassing moment, which I'll share with you. I don't get embarrassed too easily, but I'll share this with you. I was 12 or 13, I think, and I was, we were at this wedding reception and all the kids uh, stepped outside for the speeches. And we were just playing in this like wide open field. And it, we were just, I think we were just playing this classic game of tag. And everyone was running away and I was running away from the tagger and I turned a corner in this field to this uh, gate, this large sort of iron gate. Hopefully you can like picture this with, you know, those pointy finials at the top, you know, the big spiked sort of gates. Well, because I'm extremely competitive, I wasn't about to be caught. So I climbed up this fence and then I stood at the top of the fence and then I jumped. But as I jumped, my trousers, my, my skater boy baggy trousers caught one of the spikes at the top and ripped into my jeans, but not enough of a rip that it just ripped the trousers. It, it, it ripped the jeans, but then held me suspended upside down on this pretty tall fence. And there I am just upside down. And the kid who was on was like looking at me, saying, oh no, and ran away. I assume to get help, but I was there for at least five minutes Five minutes just hanging upside, I can't, I can't demonstrate it enough for you, hanging up upside down from my ankles. And 
and um, hopefully someone was going to come. Eventually, I, I just started shouting for help. I was like, help, I'm like, it's poor kids. Um, eventually, someone did come to my rescue, um, help me out. All my friends are then like laughing at me there. This poor person who just lived nearby just heard this kid screaming and uh, began to help me out. And it was in- extremely embarrassing. And um, that's why I wear skinny jeans. Now... <laughs> I still jump fences. No. <laughs> I guess the main point that, from that story that I want to highlight is that I, I knew I needed saving. I, I couldn't help myself in that situation. I tried. I, I didn't have the core strength to do upside down crunches. I didn't have that in me. Um, other alternatives uh, that I thought about since uh, would have been far more painful. I could have, and I could have undone my trousers and tried to fall out, couldn't I? But that wasn't. Good. That would have been more painful. I needed saving. I needed saving because on on my own, I was a bit of a mess in that situation. And in life, I need saving as well, because on my own, I can make a mess of a thing, a mess of things. I need saving in, in life. And it's amazing then in verse 14, we, we read, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son, Jesus, to be the Savior of the world. It's St. Paul as well who writes in, uh, to, the, to the church in Ephesus. He says this, but God, being rich in, rich in mercy, because of the great love that he has loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about Jesus is that he was simply just this good moral teacher. That his purpose, the purpose of Jesus' life and ministry was just to stop people from being bad and start being good. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions, that Jesus simply came to make bad people good. But Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to bring dead things to life. He came to save us. And Paul said we were were dead in our wrongdoing. And I I feel like when I look back at my my life and I think of some of the the things I've gone after in my life, they didn't bring bring life to me. It, It was like I was dead in those things. But because of Jesus, we are brought to life. God's love saves. It brings us back to life. It rescues us from this path that's heading towards death. And, he's, and, he's, and he says, come this way and sets us on the path that leads to life. God's love saves. God's love also satisfies. It satisfies the deepest longings of our heart. I've been on a recent health kick. I mean, let's be honest, you all know when I'm on a health kick, don't you? Because I, I keep going on about it loads and loads. And I, I've been doing lots of running and um, some good eating, mindful of all that sort of stuff. And it feels like what I noticed, there always comes a point in any health kick where no matter how, where you realize despite all the healthy eating and all the healthy choices that you're making, nothing truly satisfies like a Big Mac and fries. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sort of in that moment now in, in the health kick. I'm like, oh, all these choices. And the McDonald's is just around the corner. And you get to that point. It's, it's like, oh, this is hard. It's, this is not very fulfilling or this is not very filling. And the human heart as well 
longs to be satisfied in life. It longs to be filled. The human heart longs to be fulfilled. The human heart longs to be at peace. It longs to feel at home. Is the great theologian, St. Augustine, who said this, and this is probably one of our favorite quotes at Bay Church, but he said this in a prayer to God. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. And in life, we go after so many things to sort of fill that void, to fill that emptiness or perhaps that hole. Or the, we, we go after so much to, to fill the emptiness, to, to feel complete. And I don't know what it is for you. It, it could be money. It could be relationships, success, praise, approval, all these things, whatever it is, we go after to try and fill what is, we feel like is missing in our hearts. But as St. Augustine said, it's like our hearts has this, have this homing device. Our hearts want to be at home with God. That's how we were made. I believe that's how we were made. And so our, our hearts are longing to be, to find rest in God. And until they are, our hearts are restless. Until they find home in God, our hearts will always be unsatisfied by the things that the world offers. Our hearts will always be left wanting. It was in verse 15 of the passage that we read where it says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, then God lives in them and they in God. So when you, when you become a Christian, if you, if you decide to give your life to Jesus, to follow his ways, when you accept Jesus and you accept the love of Christ, then it says God lives in us. God fills that hole. God fills that emptiness. God fills and meets that deepest longing. It's God who makes all the difference and truly satisfies. God, he, he, it's like he makes his home in our hearts. And then in, at the same time, our hearts then find home in, in God. And for me, this was true, so true of my story. When I was 19, I, I left church and I, left, I grew up in church, but I was sort of done with it and I, I had enough of it. And I went on this path of trying to just seek all the things that I, that I hoped would satisfy this longing that I still had in my life. And I went after all the things that people were telling me to go after and they never truly satisfied. They never really made a difference. And I, I was left feeling more anxious. I was left feeling more broken. And I was left feeling more hopeless in my life until I came back to church in Brighton in, at St. Peter's Church. And I walked through the doors and I, it was like God welcomed me home, which is why it's one of my favorite phrases. And it's one of the banners that you walk into this church that says, welcome home, because I believe God wants to welcome all of us home and meet those deepest longings and needs. And for me, that was, that was the journey then to I met my wife, I met, I, I, I felt this call to be a church leader and, and it's taken on this journey that we now sort of are here in Torbay building a church that I feel is just like that, a church that welcomes people home and a church where we can experience the love of God in our lives. That's what we want because God's love truly saves, God's love truly satisfies and lastly, God's love totally restores Love is the most restorative, transformative, and motivating thing. 
Fear, sort of, uh, fear, of course, can also motivate us. I mean, the good times for fear to be a motivator is when we're, when we're in danger and then it's sort of like, sort of get up and get out. That's when fear is a good motivator. I've never been chased by a bear, but I can imagine that's the exact situation that you want fear to motivate you to move. But sometimes fear also motivates us to do the everyday stuff as well. Sometimes we're motivated by fear. If we don't, perhaps your, your boss at work is saying, oh, I need you to do this, but it, but it sort of clashes with family things. And you think, oh, if I don't do it, I, I might lose my job. Or, I, or if I don't do this thing, I might, uh, the, I don't know what they'll think of me. Or they might think I'm lazy, or they might think this. Or if I don't go, if I'm not there for that person, then we, they might uh, throw away our friendship. But whatever it is, fear can be such a motivating thing. And to be honest, I know it appears like I love the microphone and standing up. Actually, sometimes I'm pretty fearful of standing up and talking on a stage, even as someone who's apparently been trained in public speaking. I, it's either because I feel unprepared and I think, oh, I just I don't want to give another like mediocre talk. Uh, I don't know what people are going to like think if I just you know, offer them rubbish or, like, or I feel like an imposter. Sometimes it's the imposter syndrome, like, why am I the one who stands here with the microphone to share with people? Or I, or I feel like, oh, I just, I'm just not feeling it. And, and then fear could be a motivator there. Well, if I don't, then who will? Or if I, if I don't, then what will people think of me? Or if I don't, what, what's going to happen to the church? And, and all these things of fear. Fear can be such a motivating thing. But, but there, there will always come a point when no matter how much fear there is, you just won't go through with something. Your boss could really, really ride you with something. And it comes to the point where you go, do you know what? Even if I lose my job, I, I'm just not doing this. Fear can only take you so far and it won't take you through all the way. You go, yeah, I could lose my job or maybe they'll think badly of me, whatever it is. Fear motivates to a point, but it's not strong enough. And you sort of think, oh, I'll take the consequence. And I'm, I'm not motivated by fear. When I get up on stage, I'm actually motivated by love. I'm, I'm motivated by my love for you and my love for this church and my love for all that's happening. I'm driven by love. I don't, if, if you're here for the first time, I don't want to weird you out, but I love you so much. I love you so much that in that I, ju I just want you to experience what I've experienced. I want you to know God's love for you and, what, and, and his love that he has for you. I want you, to, I want you to know what I know. I want you to experience what I've experienced of God's restoring love. That's why love motivates me. And even if I'm so worried and I think, oh, I just haven't prepared enough or I haven't done this or I haven't, I'm not ready to do this, my love for you and my love for, for fulfilling what I feel God has put on my heart as a calling, that's what's driving me to do it. Because love is the greatest motivator because it transforms and restores us. It turns that fear and it drives it out. In verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. A friend of mine just this week shared this quote with me, and I'm, I'm so sorry, we usually uh, reference all our quotes, and I don't know who it's from, but it's a really good quote, and I want to share it with you this morning. He says, though we are incomplete, God loves us completely. Though we are imperfect, God loves us 
perfectly. Though we may feel lost and without a compass, God's love encompasses us completely. It's true that he loves every single one of us in this room. No matter what your thoughts or views are of God, he loves you and he wants to know you. Even if you feel flawed, rejected, awkward, or perhaps you feel broken, join the club. God loves you. And it's in God's love that we can be totally restored. Love doesn't mean nothing. Love means everything. And with God, love wins. Just to be clear, if you're in the mixed doubles tournament later and you're losing 40 love, you are losing. Let's not, let's not bring that. But you said love means everything. Not in tennis. But receive God's love and you're winning. You gain everything. True salvation. True satisfaction and total restoration for your life. Amen. Amen. Would you like to?